right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, first I'll be talking to Sona about her impressions of last week's episode of Severance, The You You Are, and this week's episode, which was called The Grim Barbarity of O and D. And we'll find <laughs> out what that means. Just once again, just remember to subscribe to us so you know when these episodes become available. We'd love to hear any feedback you might have if you're enjoying the show, any criticisms you may, you may have of the show as well. Need some introduction at gmail.com. And just a little uh, preview of what we'll be covering in the future. We will continue to be discussing Severance, Sona and I, week to week. And of course, very excited for just the trailer just dropped, and I have not watched it. I refuse to watch trailers for the latest season of Better Call Saul, which we will be covering in about a month, right after the finale of the Severance. And in between there, I will also be launching a new recap show around Moon Knight, the new Disney Plus Marvel show with a different contributor. Sona is not a comics book fan. <laughs> <laughs> of course, uh, speaking of comic books, I just did put a review of The Batman into the feed. And The Batman was very dark, but I loved the styling of it, Sona, by the way. It's kind of a mashup of Seven, believe it or not. There's a big chunk of the mm -hmm. Seven plot in there. It's very grim. I cannot imagine any kids going to see this, but I did love the design. It's incredible. The visuals in this movie are great. And what I would recommend to anybody out there, Sona, you should watch the preview because most of the really unbelievable visuals are previewed in that preview just to see like the really incredible design work that they've put into this movie. But if you are planning to see this movie, what I would say is absolutely do not watch this trailer. I intentionally, I literally would go into the movie theaters and you cannot avoid this trailer. I would put my earbuds in and avert my eyes because I did not want to see this trailer. And I did not see the trailer until I was putting that episode together this week. And I was absolutely shocked that things that happened in the last few minutes of this movie are in the trailer. And I cannot understand this philosophy of trailers that give away the entire beginning, middle and end. I'll just give you one example of this, Sona. The Riddler's face is revealed in the trailer. The Riddler is not unmasked in the movie until two hours and 15 minutes into this three-hour movie. And it's in the trailer, which I found absolutely shocking. So do not watch this trailer, people, if you plan to watch it. But it is a beautiful trailer. Beautiful. <laughs> All that being said. <laughs> oh, I have a recommendation for you. Mm -hmm. So there's a movie that just came out on Showtime. You can watch it. It's premiering directly on Showtime. And uh, it stars um, Colin Farrell, by the way, who is in the Batman as the Penguin, completely unrecognizable under pounds and pounds of latex. I don't know why you get Colin Farrell to, to look like this in the movie, but he is not under uh, pounds of latex in this particular uh, recommended movie that I'm going to say. And it's called After Yang. Have you have you heard of this? After Yang? After Yang. No, I have not. Okay, so it just premiered this week after playing some film festivals. It is directed by this filmmaker called, he goes by one name, it's Koganada. Mm -hmm. And this guy is like everyone's fantasy. If you are like a YouTuber, this is like your fantasy come true. This guy made video as essays about movies. Like, you know, he basically does thematic breakdowns of films. And uh, he eventually made a movie called Columbus, which is also excellent. And it stars um, John Cho, mm -hmm. a really great movie. It takes place in Columbus, Columbus, Ohio. It's John Cho. His father is like teaches at a university and he has a stroke and he's basically like probably going to die. And John Cho comes back for the first time to reconnect with his dad, but his dad's like knocked out. He's like in a coma. So instead he ends up hanging out with Haley Lou Richardson, 
a, a younger woman who's like one of the students at the school, at the campus. And uh, they just have these conversations in this long night together. And uh, it's beautiful. And because Columbus, Ohio, I did not know this, is there's so much architecture there that there's all these kind of architect architectural experiments around this campus. So every mm -hmm. shot is framed in this very interesting way where they're having these conversations and you see this very interesting architecture in the background and the way they interact with that architecture is very interesting. It's a very low key, beautiful film. And I highly recommend that one. But the new film that just premiered on Showtime this week is called After Yang. It stars Colin Farrell and it's a sci-fi. <laughs> but hear me out on this. It's in the near future. It's very interesting. It's as if you're inside of a movie like Blade Runner just because of the amount of specificity of this future. But it's so low key. You're just really just seeing these parents interact. And that's the reason I love this film so much. Parental interactions are so uh, specific, right? Mm -hmm. But this is not the reason I would recommend this movie to you. This movie moved me so much, especially the first half. What happens is, this is not a spoiler, it happens during the credit sequence. This girl, who's a Chinese orphan who's been adopted by this couple, has a big brother that they've purchased. He's a robot, a cyborg, and he's Yang. <laughs> and he's Yang, and he, but he looks like a person. It doesn't look, you know, he's not like a robotic looking. But but hear me out. <laughs> I, know you're, I know I'm losing you. I know I'm losing you. But I, I so bad. What happens is that he breaks down during the title sequence. This happens right at the very beginning of the movie. And then basically they're trying to repair him because he's obviously very, he's basically been raising in a lot of ways. They've kind of used him as a babysitter. They kind of, you know, let him do a lot of the parenting. And at one point they go to this guy who's kind of like a black market uh, hacker of these robots. And they're able to get inside of his mind. This ironically kind of overlaps with the severance concept with PD's chip. We see Colin Farrell go into his memories. So there's this robot who is trying to be more human, right? And what we're doing is we're experiencing the moments that he has chosen to preserve. Like these are moments that he thought were important. And there are these moments where he's seeing his family interact. He's like, Yang is just observing them, but it's these interactions between them. It's just his daughter on her own playing by herself. And I cannot explain to you that in these moments, beautiful images. Sometimes it's just the weird way the light catches in the mirror. It's just these little vignettes that he has captured. And this was so moving to me. I got to say that, give it a shot. I think that once you go into Yang's mind and you see these moments hit from his perspective, the daughter just asking him questions. It, it, mean, it really makes you just want to, uh, <laughs> I'm getting emotional now. It just really makes you want to just like uh -huh. hug your kids <laughs> and uh -huh. like, re like really appreciate these moments you have with them. You know, not a traumatic film. This is not going to give you AI flashbacks. It is actually a very life affirming and the, a, the um, sci-fi elements of this allows them to go into someone else's mind in its own way. It reminds me of like Bluey, where it's about just kind of saying like, appreciate this time you have. And then, you know, you're seeing it from the perspective of like this machine that is trying to understand it's beautiful. I really like it. Sounds like data from Star Trek. A little bit, but I'd say like, you know, it really has so much to do with, uh, the way that Koganada shoots these things, similar mm -hmm. to what he did in Columbus, where he's putting these people just having a conversation. And it's just such a beautiful performance by Colin Farrell, so subtle, that he is just seeing the irritation, like how inconvenient this is that Yang has broken. And then he goes and he starts to relive, relive his moments from Yang's perspective. And you see him, like literally his face, just changing as he's kind of saying like, oh my God, what are all the things I've missed in this mm -hmm. period of time? 
it's really, really beautiful. Anyway, okay. so that's my recommendation. <laughs> Give it a shot. Try. Okay. So before we get into today, this week's episode, I was curious to get your impression, Sona, of last week's episode, the you, you are. I did want to give you a little preface before we talk about last week's episode. I did a little research on names. Usually when you have this show that is very metaphorical, inevitably names are very important. So I started to, I mean, in, in literature in general, right? Names are always symbolic. Mm -hmm. So uh, I did find it interesting that Peter and Mark are both biblical names. And uh, when I did a little research, I'm no biblical historian. So I had to do my Googling. There's a relationship between Peter and Mark in the Bible in that Mark's gospel is based on Pete's, Peter's teachings. So Peter's the witness. Mark is the one who put it pen to paper, basically. And which is interesting, right? Because in this film, in this show, we have Petey being this person who, in a way, has bared, borne witness internally and is communicating with this Mark outside of work because, of course, that version of Mark has not been able to uh, bear witness, although ironically he is there too, right? But it's just that these two parts of his personality cannot communicate. That was one uh, thing that I thought was interesting. And then I uh, I think we already discussed this er earlier, but I'll throw it in there as well because I thought it was interesting. Helly's name. Mm -hmm. Helly, of course, makes you think of hell. And of course, she is having a very hellish experience <laughs> in, in her uh, life. And we'll talk about that in more detail here for sure. And uh, beyond that, it also is Irish for ingenious or innovative, which maybe she is, you know, going to crack this case and she's the ingenious one. And also it has a different root meaning uh, like claimant or inheritor. Mm -hmm. So maybe she is, and this is something I speculated on earlier, maybe she is somehow within the family, like on the outside. She's yeah, maybe, I think it's a good theory. She might be CEO in, 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 in training or something. And she's an undercover boss, which was the analogy <laughs> I made before. And uh, maybe she, uh, and maybe that's why she's so adamantly set on, you know, she's a true believer, right? She's like, this is her, right. this is her business. This is, a, this is the business she's inheriting. Maybe she truly does believe, but it, it does remain to be seen why Heli is so adamantly committed to this, despite the protestations of um, the, her innie, because wow, like she is yeah. extremely cruel to her. Innie. Yes. Uh, before we get into this current week's episode, I did want to get Sona's feedback on last week's episode since she wasn't available. And if anybody wants to hear my opinion of last week's episode and you didn't have a chance to obviously check our feed, I have an episode where I broke down last week's episode and uh, that's uh, two episodes back now at this point. First of all, I'm not sure I had ever so clearly understood the words to enter Sandman. So I appreciated that, actually. Also, how apropos to have a recording of yourself singing Enter Sandman. I, I have the song right, correct? Yeah. For your funeral services. I mean, really on the nose there. <laughs> so that was interesting to me on a level that I've heard that song, I'm sure hundreds of times, and I never really understood the words. I did like that daughter character a lot. And I hope we see more of her. Something about her I really liked. To me, the previous week's episode, the Scientology illusions were so clear that I had wondered if I had been missing them all along just in trying to keep up with this world that they have constructed and my own questions that were arising about the world. But uh, last week, I felt like they were making a very, very clear analogy to what we hear about Scientology and how it treats its members. And I liked the um, interaction between Mark and Patricia Arquette's character at the funeral home. And they're both kind of circling each other in a way. 
because they both know more than they're willing to say to the other. And I thought um, Mark did a very good job thinking on his feet <laughs> as to why he was there. Mark. Mrs. Sullivan? What are you doing here? I, I'm, you know, the news report said that he worked at Lumen, so I thought maybe I, I, I knew him. What are you doing here? Oh, he used to come by my shop. He adored my hibiscus wrap. Oh, my God. Wow, the small world. Oh, poor, poor man. Well, on the upside, at least now we both have a date. <laughs> Overall, last week, you know, I continued to just feel so sad for Hallie and her situation and her desperation. And I totally understood why she would make the decision she made to try and hang herself. And I think um, very interesting how she planned to do it in the elevator so that, you know, ideally in her mind, the outside version of her was going to have to feel that pain and those last gasps of air. Uh, I thought was just a really moving, disturbing, understandable decision that she had made. And I actually was surprised uh, with this week's sequence of events because not that I know much about suicide methods, but I thought hanging was almost instantaneous and almost impossible to rescue someone from. But we can talk about that more in connection with this episode. Okay, so now let's talk about the current episode. The Grim Barbarity of O&D. So right off the, the, the bat, this is something that maybe I would leave for final, but I'll just bring it in there because I, it's so pressing to me in experiencing the beginning of this episode. When it opens, we see that she's in the process of hanging herself. She ascends. So, so for a moment, she like kind of goes through that phaser or whatever it is that switches her from one personality to the other. So now she's in her Audi and she is experienced the experience of, of, of choking. Uh, and then the guard is away from his desk. So misses this whole thing happening. And I wonder if she intended the guard to be there. Well, I guess she doesn't know the guards out there, right? She has no idea what happens when she goes, ascends that elevator. Right. So Fair point. That, yeah. yeah. So that's can't be the case. And then, um, she descends again, and by the time she's descended all the way down, shortly thereafter, she's passed out. And then that's when the security guard, of course, has seen this on his camera, uh, and he, uh, who, who's going to pop up a few times, actually, in this episode. And he goes and, you know, rescues her, and then Mark shows up and assists. And they immediately shove Mark into the elevator. They want him to leave as quickly as possible. And as he exits, this was kind of an interesting reversal that we've seen earlier, that Mark kind of becomes peaceful when he exits instead of what we saw earlier, where he was basically crying, remembering his, you know, the anniversary of his wife's death. And then when he re-enters uh, the elevator or he enters the elevator that as he descends, that he uh, like suddenly stops crying and he's in a different mindset. Now this is the, the opposite, right? Where he's like in this moment of panic. And I can only imagine him waking up in the elevator <laughs> and his heart probably thundering <laughs> in terror mm -hmm. and wondering like, what just happened? Like, why am I petrified? Why am I terrified? We see him become pretty calm pretty quickly and uh, he goes home. Uh, and then, yeah. And then we actually see him return. And when he does that, he is, um, you know, he immediately goes back into panic mode as he descends. And uh, they tell him that Heli's in the hospital. Her, it's her Audi version of herself that's in the hospital, of course, and that she's going to be away for a few days. And then we see like a montage where we're seeing it from his perspective, but I'm pretty sure Dylan is also experiencing this, is that they are reading Rickon's book. <laughs> mm -hmm. And there's some very, very funny passages here from Rickon's book. My failure to break into the literary world in my 20s was devastating, yet it taught me a vital lesson. 
that it was not me who was wrong, but literature itself. And that to truly find my place in that world, I would first need to break it entirely. And so I did. A society with festering workers cannot flourish, just as a man with rotting toes cannot skip. What separates man from machine is that machines cannot think for themselves. Also, they are made of metal, whereas man is made of skin. If you are a soldier, do not fight for my freedom. Fight for the freedom of the soldier fighting next to you. This will make the war more inspiring for you both. A good person will follow the rules. A great person will follow himself. Bullies are nothing but bull and lies. At the center of industry is dust. They cannot crucify you if your hand is in a fist. Should you find yourself contorting to fit a system, dear reader, Stop and ask if it's truly you that must change or the system. For someone who's completely culturally starved, this uh, mm -hmm. may be the fomenting of a revolution here <laughs> from this, this <laughs> stupid book. Uh, when he does leave, probably not within a day. I mean, at this point, we've seen this montage goes on for a while. So this has probably been a few days that he's there. Uh, hell, he's still not back. So it hasn't been like a full week yet. But he does check his voicemail as he exits. And he has many, many messages from Rickon. Hysterical. And his sister is giving birth out at the cabin. All right, Mark, it's Rickon. Listen, I know you're still in um, severed Mark form, but uh, Devin's at four centimeters, so this baby is officially coming. Uh, we're headed to the birthing retreat now, so please come. Mark, uh, Rickon again, we're at the retreat, and the child is continuing toward the birth canal, so it would be really great if you were here. I don't know if they let you have your phone down there. Oh, actually, if this is Mark's work self, please tell him Rickon said to come quickly. Mark, we're still here, wondering if you're lost. We are in cabin six, which is through the gate, and at the end of the row, it's um, one of the more affordably sized units, but you should be able to find it. Please do come soon. Mark is completely panicked. He probably thinks he's completely missed the birth at this point. I thought so. <laughs> yeah, I would assume the same, right? Yeah. <laughs> and when he walks in there and the doula is walking outside, uh, the one he went on a date with a couple episodes ago. And he kind of apologizes because I guess he kind of blew her off after that. He's asking how she's doing. And she says, oh, she's doing fine. I'm going to go take a little break. She's got 20 minutes in between her contractions, which I found very funny. The assumption was that, well, she's walking out because, oh, he missed the birth. It's like, no, no, right. she's like, no, she's hours away from giving birth. <laughs> <laughs> And then we have some very funny interactions here between Rickon and Mark, where Rickon is crying over the baby. And he's <laughs> when he walks in, he interrupts them where he says, I just want to be like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> and he tries to encourage uh, Mark to tell a secret, which will create a soul void, which will suck the baby out of the birth canal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark's sister is getting pretty annoyed with this whole situation. And she decides to go out and get coffee where she meets in the cabin next door, this huge, beautiful cabin next door, mm -hmm. Gabby. And we barely learn anything about her, but I am pretty sure that she's going to come back. I don't know how, there's no kind of teaser here that shows, but I'm pretty sure that somehow there's some association to Lumen and somehow this is going to come back. Yeah, it would seem very random otherwise for such a quick meeting to 
be meaningless. Exactly. And for her to bring her up again and like be inside the cabin for some period of time. And we see like the husband or boyfriend in the background and like kind of obscured. You're spending way too much time with these people to like never circle back to this. Even though Rickon's conversation is pretty silly earlier on, when she does return with the coffee and has this moment with Mark, Mark almost does tell her about Petey, almost. But then she goes into her final phase of labor. And he uh, sitting out on the dock by himself while she's giving birth. We hear her giving birth. And simultaneously, he remembers Petey collapsing. is very sad mm-hmm. at that convenience store. And he has not unburdened himself of this to her or anybody at this point. And it's probably safest that he doesn't. And then he's back in the office. And we find out that this is literally, I didn't think about this, but literally Helly's first experience back in the office after hanging herself is going to be when she steps off that elevator. And of mm-hmm. course, when Mark is there to see her, she is petrified and uh there is a uh, milchick tries to coach <laughs> um, market adam scott gives a great performance here trying to give him kind eyes and i never realized how kind of creepily robotic adam scott's face can be until this <laughs> moment <laughs> and when he makes the kind face when he actually goes into the elevator and he's dealing with this very trauma traumatized heli and he tries to make the, the kind face to him is probably even funnier <laughs> even funnier than a coaching session <laughs> things get even more awkward we have miss casey is hanging out and you know within uh, arm's length of heli the entire day did you get all that are you upset no i'm peachy if you're upset you can request a A hug i know i'm good as this is occurring Irving has another one of his, I don't know what these things are, these visions he has of this goop, black goop. Right. He saw it like crawling over his cubicle previously, and now he sees it's dripping from the ceiling, and he sees it dripping out of uh, Mark's eye. And this immediately, he freaks out, and he says, I'm going to go see Bert. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bert and uh, Irv have a little uh, romance brewing here. They do. I meant to ask you, I think back in episode three, because I couldn't really get a feel for their interactions. I'm like, hold on a second. Is this a romance? And I forgot to ask you then at that point, but it's explicit now. <laughs> mm-hmm. point, no doubt. Actually, as, as of last week, right, when their hands touched. Yes, I agree. And it is kind of sweet to see that they are trying to, you know, they're bypassing corporate protocol <laughs> to try to explore this romance, which is kind of sweet that even like kind of disconnected from all external culture, <laughs> they're still somehow found each other. Although it remains to be seen if Bert is a nefarious character. And as I mentioned, I do find Christopher Walken very unsettling. So it's hard for me to really be too invested in this because I am so unsettled. <laughs> and I think that there that's the intention, by the way, of having Christopher Walken here. I mentioned Catch Me If You Can. And he has certain performances. That's probably the last one I can remember, a big movie where he plays this very non-Christopher Walken character. And mm-hmm. he's a very skilled actor, but he does, you know, he's one of those actors that you're expecting him to do a certain shtick, right? Like whether it's Jack Nicholson or whether it's Samuel L. Jackson or Christopher Walken, there are certain actors who can stretch and do completely different roles. Jack Nicholson, for example, you know, about Schmidt is a, an example of a very non-Jack Nicholson type performance late in his career. But most of the time you get Jack Nicholson in there, you want him to play Jack Nicholson. And that's what's interesting about how they might be using Christopher Walken here is that Walken can play it straight, but every once in a while they let him kind of do a little Christopher Walken there. So it kind of maybe intentionally casting him in a way so that we don't really trust him ourselves, right? Because maybe that's the purpose of this character. Yes. And as he's heading out to meet up with Bert, he goes to 
make a copy of the map that Bert left him so that he can find his way back. And Dylan even says, make sure you copy that map because we want to be able to be able to go get you if we need to. That's how complicated these things are. They can't even find their way from one location mm -hmm. to another. Now, when he's printing it out, of course, this print shop comes out and we see the painting that is referenced in the title of this episode, The Grim Barbarity of O&D, where we see supposedly based on the badges, the color of the badges, that right. O&D has <laughs> lost their minds and has like is eating the members of MDR. Absolutely. <laughs> totally crazy. Insane. And what was your experience of watching this, by the way? Because when I first saw it, I'm like, is this possible that they're so incompetent that they actually let this pr job print shop go through? And of course, immediately afterwards, we find out that this was intentional, right? They're just trying to keep these two groups from intermingling. Uh, yeah. As soon as Milchik showed up, I immediately, felt, right? Yes, that it was a fix. But but just the fact that such a painting exists is crazy, regardless of the purpose. <laughs> so hilarious, yes. <laughs> but it turns out that this is a 266, which is what Harmony calls it, uh, which apparently is some kind of psyops where they use these kind of fear tactics to create these rumors that they spread themselves to keep these organizations or these internal groups from intermingling, I guess, so that they can't really figure out what the company's doing, really. Mm -hmm. Which is probably safer for them, right? If they really want to keep this secret, very easy to just manipulate these people into not talking to each other. <laughs> and it's probably not that hard to do, by the way. Right. Harmony, first of all, seems annoyed that Milchik did this because, and this is uh, something that I'm curious about, is, is she a double agent here? Because she seems to be allowing in multiple instances here in this one specific episode to allow O&D and MDR to hang out together. She's aware of this situation with Bert. She sends Casey down there, which is either intentionally or accidentally uh, allows Bert and uh, Irving to hang out again and kind of reconnects them. And when uh, she finds out that Milchik was trying to scare them apart, she seems a little confrontational about that. And when the security guard calls her out directly and says, is it okay to have them hang out together? She's saying like, no, I'm trying something different here. So is there a corporate level game that she's playing at a higher level? Or is she, like I mentioned earlier, is she actually kind of on their side to devise a way to have them interact and foment this revolution potentially? Yeah, I mean, I've mentioned before that I do just get a general feeling of doom from her character here, which is not something that I've ever experienced with Patricia Arquette before. <laughs> um, so I generally have negative feelings about her character. But I can't ignore the concrete evidence that you have pointed out that perhaps she is trying to do something for the greater good here. One last piece of evidence I, I would put out here, and it comes later in the episode, but I'll just bring it up now because it kind of ties into this point, is when earlier on the security guard brought her PD's chip saying that you were right, he's been reintegrated. And he says, you should take this to the board immediately. And her response is like, no, I want to make, have like a rock solid case here. Mm -hmm. And that, so she's holding on to this piece of evidence and she wants to find out who did it. And right. once again, I would posit, why would she, like theoretically the board or whoever is uh, above her would have way more resources to track these people down. The fact that she's trying to do this covertly makes me think that why does she want to know who did this? Why does she want to know what this technology is? And then when I see that she is allowing these different groups, apparently contradicting dogma that they are allowed to interact, all of these things are seem to be not standard policy, right? So it does make you wonder what her overall plan is. Yeah, I agree. 
I wonder too, there's some inconsistency to me here about how in some ways the board or Lumen or whatever it may be is all knowing and always watching. Yet they are able to keep secrets on some level and I'm not sure how to reconcile that. I mean, I was just thinking about this just today, actually um, thinking about the show again. And I wonder if all of this is, you know, not only is there a psychological manipulation with that painting, I honestly feel sometimes if this whole purpose of this is psychological experimentation. So are they all saying you're looking for those scary numbers and are they seeing scary numbers or are they manifesting this somehow when they're in that room and they start hearing voices, but they all hear something different. Is that something that the text is putting in their minds or is this something that they are like, are they just watching these people's psychology break down? And is that the experiment? And is she just part of this experiment, even though she's not severed, is she just part of this psychological experiment? So to your point, when the board is there and you just like dead silent, are they just letting you kind of dig your own grave mm. and not to some end other than like, you're just part of this experiment. Like the whole thing is just the psychological experiment of it all. Yeah. It's, I mean, I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but I hope <laughs> all will be made clear at the end, but certainly a lot of questions here. And I think that we can circle back to whether they're opening too many doors before they start closing any, but uh, we are at that moment in the middle of the season. So it, it, it may be that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll reserve judgment as to whether we've done too much or too little yet, uh, depending on how think the direction the show goes in from this point on. Yeah. No more livestock, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. We could touch on that actually. Oh, a couple of things that are happening here in parallel, basically that Miss Casey has been diverted by uh, Mark spilling some coffee intentionally to make her go and like, oh, can you go grab this so we can clean this up? Knowing that whatever, wherever the paper towels are or whatever, everything is in its own section in this whole building for some reason that she's going to take a while, like a few minutes, eight minutes, she says, to go out and back to get the supplies to clean up. But she mm -hmm. does head out and right. Mark uses that time to go show Helly where the pen caps are, <laughs> the extra pen caps which apparently is legitimately a thing. I thought it was a joke, but it's, I mean, I thought it was him just making up something, but it turns out it's true. And while they are exploring the building, at first she seems annoyed with him, but eventually when they discover some other strange thing going on, that there is some guy in a room with some lambs. I don't know what's happening. This is maybe a bridge too far for me as well. And I think for you. Uh, yeah. It's, it starts having this feeling to me of like the shining where yes. like behind all the room doors, there's another horror happening. Yes. Yes. That's true. That's a good point. Actually. Good analogy. You know? Like it's just at some point it's, I mean, the shining was purposefully over the top, I think. Right. right? Yes. Um, but this to me felt like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and it's so funny too, because I really like the construction of this visually, but I did, did I thought the payoff was like you said, it, it, I, I agree. It kind of annoyed me. First of all, there's this beautiful visual, incredible visual where Helly is storming away from Mark. And as it's like kind of when you go to a grocery store late at night and uh, only certain areas light up depending on you know motion detector. So she's walking through this part of the corridors. They're not lit up. And it's like her inside of this white box as she walks forward. And then Mark following her and he's in silhouette because he's outside of that box. So it's this beautiful visual that they have. And then they start hearing like a child crying and they start wandering through this maze. And then of course the payoff is that they find not a child, but all these lambs inside um, of this room. Room with... full of goats or lambs or whatever it may be. Yeah. And with some guy we've never seen before in a suit. Uh, feeding them saying they're not ready yet they're not ready yet so it's a combination of what i thought was a very creepy 
moment in the show and this beautiful visual that they've constructed here. And then the payoff is just some another quirky detail that doesn't tie into anything at this point. Maybe it ties in in the future, but I don't know. For me, it was just a little too quirky for its own good. Agree. But, you know, this experience they have together has bonded them because she now, after initially saying, I'm not your PD, I'm not going to help you figure out this map again, which he really did destroy. I'm surprised he never, I can't believe he didn't copy that before he destroyed that map. But regardless. So crazy. I mean, an act of irrationality, I think. <laughs> Who would maybe do? he was just so. On the one hand, I'll grant him that, you know, having, being a parent, there are times when you're like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. <laughs> so maybe he's just like so frustrated with her or just at the end of his rope with trying to get her, you know, to, to see that there's really no way out of this. Not that she shouldn't fight, but, you know, I mean, if it's going to lead to suicide, which is basically what her option was, maybe he's just trying to, he's just frustrated. He's just like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. But now he is obsessed with this partially motivated by the way by rickens quotes that there was one specific one where he mentions that sometimes like when you're failing in the system it's not you it's the system right so maybe that is something that makes him uh is emboldened him a little bit to not be as sheepish as he's been in the past but anyway so she's on board now to become his assistant in this exploration of rebuilding the map and, and while this has all been going on, by the way, also interestingly, we have seen that, first of all, they have found Bert in the conference room. Casey, Miss Casey was the one who told them that he was there. It turns out he was there and he was like embarrassed to uh, approach Irving again. He thought that he kind of overstepped previously. Uh, but of course, Dylan, having seen that painting and ha just having his suspicions anyway, he like locks him inside the conference room. And then they start asking all these questions. Why did you lie to me? Why did you tell me yeah, there's more people in your group? And Bert seems sincere in this moment. What do you think where he is saying, well, you know, we've heard stories about you guys. Why did you lie about the number of people in your department? Because we don't trust you guys. You, the king of fucks, don't trust us. I do, but people just talk about MDR stupid old stories jokes even what do you mean i it's literally silly like they say you all have pouches pouches like to carry young yes according to some you each have a larval offspring that will jump out and attack if we get too close that's fucking psycho i mean it's a joke of course but i don't know the sentiment you know somehow holds people are weird <laughs> Though, I'd be remiss not to say that in this theory, the larva eventually eats and replaces you. Oh. Which Irving would solve the mystery of your youthful energy. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So they have their own mythology about MDR. Yes. Um, he did seem sincere, and I thought it was a cute, if true, very cute to say I was trying to think of a joke. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's why I was here. 
I think he was though. That's why I think he was sincere. He is like mouthing to himself like weird, like introductory lines and stuff in that room when she walks by initially. I have so picked he, up on that. Okay, that's very cute. Yeah. So I do think that he is sincere in that moment that he was just trying to be like, oh, I was just stopping by. You know, I'm sure we've all been in that circumstance where you're just trying yes. to be like, oh, I just happened to be walking by, you know. So yes. And that's what he was trying to do awkwardly. Of course, they have no, they have to invent everything, right? Like, think about that. Like they haven't watched sitcoms where this has happened. They're trying <laughs> to invent, you know, comedy based on whatever happens in the office, which is like exclusively their exclusive uh cultural uh interactions that's a very funny perspective they do end up back at o and d and uh he says i haven't seen this painting however dylan does happen to find a painting that looks identical to the one that he had described except that the tags are flipped so it's actually mdr that are the aggressors yeah. in this version of it and this painting is actually called not the grim barbarity of o and d but the mdr calamity so mm -hmm. it is interesting right that there's this propaganda that's being propagated on both sides to um basically scare people away from each other but there is another sweet moment here where bert and irving are looking at a painting you know they saying supposedly you're not supposed to fraternize with other departments or and there's not supposed to be anything romantic but then bert's like are we sure that's what the intention is because hey look at this painting we actually see right here actually meeting his wife in this painting where apparently he's making ether i'm like i'm not sure you make ether as a stew mm -hmm. <laughs> i don't know how you would survive that to be honest with you but <laughs> So relaxing. <laughs> exactly. You fall right into the stew. <laughs> oh, spe speaking of Kier, I was doing some research on names, by the way, and uh, Kier, not as a first name, but as a last name. And I think this is a parallel here. There is a pharmaceutical company founded by a family called Kier in the United States back in the early 1800s. And also in the mid 1800s, there was another Kier who famously in Pennsylvania there was, he was a salt miner and he found oil inside of the salt and he was trying to separate the oil from his salt. And he basically invented a way to do that separation, which be, created petroleum. And, uh, and that's really basically became the oil boom of Pennsylvania, right? So I think these are probably parallels here, especially the pharmaceutical guy, because this is a pharmaceutical company. So that's probably where they got the name from. But I actually did a little research into those families to be like, was one of them a crazy cult member or something? As far as my research is, there was no, you know, uh, cults or anything associated to these families. Mm -hmm. And uh, and actually, uh, Dylan confronts Irving and says, "Are you sweet on this guy? I don't trust this guy." But Irving actually says, "No, he's." And this is the first time I feel like we've seen Irving not just follow the corporate line. So mm. it might be a little revolution brewing among all the characters, basically, in their own ways. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much takes us close to the end of the episode. We do see at the very end that Harmony witnessing all this. She is uh, watching on her monitor and she basically tells the security guard to butt out of what her plan is and tells him that he needs to find out who did that reversal to Petey. And she does also throw in another quote here, which I thought was interesting, that she says that uh, when the, the security guard says, are you sure this is okay? So now Milchik has questioned her, and now he has questioned her as well. Do you think this is all right? What's happening here? You aware what MDR is up to right now? I thought that's what you were paid for. You're not stopping it. The surest way to tame a prisoner is to let him believe he's free. There's a cure quote for everything. How many more departments are you going to let them find? I'll have a word with Mark. I would be careful. Upstairs wouldn't look kindly on this. Yes, Daddy. You can talk to me when you figure out who hacked Kilmer's chip. 
And there's always a clear quote for everything, <laughs> which is true, right? I think we mentioned that before, but it's like, you can always have a quote from the Bible that like, will, uh, represents anything you, any opinion you may have. So <laughs> there's always a convenient quote. And, uh, and that's pretty much where we, we leave things off. Um, there's no trailers or anything for the future. They don't do that. Like, you know, I know. which I found interesting because I definitely, this is the type of show that I very much would like to see <laughs> the next up on, but we, there's no previews for this yeah i agree and we're just left wondering the livestock Livestock might have been a bridge too far for me right especially as someone who is not a big fan of sci-fi not a big fan of things that feel like a fever dream or kind of surreal you know with very rare exceptions this was pushing me to my limit i think i'm gonna see it through I was reluctant to watch this in that I know there is a sci-fi aspect to this, uh, but the concept was so irresistible to me, the idea of your work person being severed from your outside life person. And I am still interested in that. But there were a lot of elements in this show, in this episode, that made me feel like, eh, you're losing me. This type of stuff is the reason I wasn't that interested in watching it. All of this, it does not really interest me, I have to say. I am hopeful that the next episode is going to be a little bit more back on track to what the first couple of episodes were like. Some of these plot points, it just was getting far afield for me from where my interest lies and what the show is about. They're not ready. You can't take them yet. They're not ready. It isn't time. Oh, get the hell out of here. Go! I don't actually mind when things are kind of surreal, but there's almost like an explanation for it. It's as if you're seeing something that is normal, but you're seeing it in a strange context. And maybe once again, this may reveal itself. Like maybe they do animal testing and, uh, you know, the guy's like saying, you know, these are the babies before they do the testing, et cetera. So maybe there is a way in which this ties in. in a more And he wears a suit to do this. Exactly. That's, that's what I, that's where I think it doesn't, it still doesn't make sense. Can't think of an example off the top of my head, but there are times when like, you know, you suddenly are in a very natural situation, but in a, you kind of come at it from a very strange way. So it kind of makes you see a circumstance in a different way. All of a sudden you're like, whoa, how weird to see that from this uh, circumstance, this perspective, let's say. So I like when things are surreal in that way. What I don't really like kind of makes me bristle more weird stuff happening. And then like, okay, all right. Like, you know, there's been a lot of weird stuff here. And like the painting, for example, was something that I'm like, that is so bizarre. And then finding out that it was a psyops operation made me like laugh. I'm like, oh, that's great. That what a great payoff there. (laughs) And then a a few moments later to have the layers, I'm like, well, I don't think that (laughs) that's just weird to be weird. And that's that's the kind of thing I really don't like. Yeah, I I don't know. There's enough going on. We don't need to add. Absolutely. I totally agree. You know, and, and that's where I hope maybe there actually is a payoff to that in some way, because like you said, there's so much going on here already. Like, do we really need to just throw more quirkiness into it? I, I don't, I don't buy it. Yeah. Like if next week they're just going to open a couple more doors in that hallway and equally bizarre things are behind them. I'm not going to be very happy. I, I, that's an excellent point. I totally agree with that. If this is some hidden part of the, you know, they start to do more investigations and they find out this other part of the business like that basically finding those lambs has some logical explanation and we see more and more of it in the next part that i would would be okay with but like to your point if they open each room 
and every room has like some other bizarre experiment going on inside right. of it, then it becomes like you said, it's like the shining when you're walking through the hotel and you're like, exactly. another weird thing and another weird thing, and another weird thing. <laughs> which you kind of buy, by the way, in the shining, because this is like, you know, a hotel that's haunted by everybody who ever stayed there. So it's like, yeah, there's gonna be yes. a lot of very <laughs> weird things overlapping on top of each other. But this is like in the corporate environment. It's like, would there be 400 <laughs> weird experiments going on at the same time? I, I don't think so. And the last thing I have here, too, is I really do hope and I don't know if this is going to happen, given how far we are into the show that we do have like a standalone heli episode i'm really curious to know what her motivation is uh you know for the cruelty she shows to her any basically yes and i mean inevitably they have to explain the mystery that is heli i think she's maybe the biggest mystery in the show honestly beyond um even more so than some of these other conspiracies going on i would love that actually like you know the next episode that all of a sudden we're expecting to walk out with mark and she gets in the elevator like we've seen her before she walks into the elevator and then she you know disappears from the show It'd be such a cool twist to have her get into the elevator and then we see her outside and you're like, oh, mm -hmm. wait a second. Wow, we're going to have a heli mm -hmm. episode. That'll be, that'll be, I do hope so. I would like to see more of these people's home lives, basically. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, and that's where we leave things. Okay. All right. Thank you for the conversation and I'll talk to you sure. soon. Have a good trip. All right. Thank you. Hey, take care. All right. Bye.